This is Conversations with the President, presented by the Canadian Bar Association. Hi, I'm Stephen Rothstein, President of the Canadian Bar Association, and your host for this special episode of Conversations with the President to mark National Volunteer Week. I'm speaking to you from Toronto, homes to many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Ashinaabe, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat. I'd ask each of you to consider the treaty lands and territories on which you reside as we acknowledge with respect and gratitude the many First Nation, Inuit, and Métis whose footsteps have marked this land for centuries. The CBA would like to salute volunteers and get to know one of them a little better on today's podcast. My guest is CBA's Pro Bono Initiative Coordinator, Bjorna Skirti. The CBA currently has two initiatives to help people fleeing both from Afghanistan and since February of this year, the Ukraine. Bjorna herself immigrated to Canada from Albania and now practices law in Alberta. We'll hear some of her personal stories and find out what the CBA volunteers are doing to help with the refugee crisis around the world. We also touch on how this crisis impacts mental health of both those in need and those in a position to help. So my first question, firstly, welcome. Nice to uh, to talk to you, uh, well, I guess virtually over, over this podcast. It's very nice to be here. So my fir- well, my first question to you was what the weather was like in Calgary, and I'm glad it's warming up in Calgary. But my first substantive question has to do uh, with what kind of specific requests volunteers at the CBA are get, are being confronted with, and how are they able to help those um, those individuals those individuals who are seeking that help? Sure, and and I I must start by saying how wonderful um, the members from the Canada Bar Association have been that have volunteered their time with both the Afghanistan and the Ukraine initiative. Um, What we've done is we've actually created an intake system um, for individuals that are looking for help to specifically reach out to individual volunteer lawyers who can assist uh, with either questions or can take on cases if they have the capacity. In terms of the requests that we're seeing, it's anything from what sort of documents do we need to come over there? Are there any processes that are available to us uh, to come to Canada? Would you be able to assist us? Um, And so on. With regards to Ukraine, we've gotten a lot of questions uh, about the emergency travel document that Canada has initiated. Um, And those questions range from a simple piece to can you assist us with the entire thing? So so it's it's a wide range of inquiries that we're getting. And uh, as I said, our lawyers have been fantastic in answering the questions, but also taking on cases and helping individuals from beginning to end. So would you say when when well, obviously, when we when we receive these requests, how much time is one of our lawyers, uh, one of the Canadian Bar Association's volunteers, I should say, uh, spending on each one of these files and like how many would we be getting, say, in a given week? Sure. So it really depends on capacity. Um, in any given week, they can, there can be anywhere from just a few to tens um, of, of inquiries coming in. And again, we have to keep in mind that there's both initiatives currently underway. So we have the Afghanistan initiative as well as the Ukraine initiative. So there's volunteer lawyers that are getting um, inquiries from both of them. 
Um, with regards to the capacity of the lawyers or the volunteers, that's really been left in their hands. So if they do have capacity to really assist an individual from beginning to end, we strongly encourage that. Uh, if not, then just answering the inquiry um, is, is usually sufficient as well. Um, what we've seen, though, is something incredible. Even for lawyers that do not have capacity to take on a matter themselves, they reached out to their own networks uh, and have figured out ways to assist these people, even if they don't have the capacity to do so themselves. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I've heard I, anecdotally these stories. I mean, hearing from you now firsthand is just magnifying what I've heard, just the, the amount of, of, of uh, CBA members who've kind of gone and, you know, obviously spending you know a fair bit of time doing this work. A uh, couple of practical questions. How are they dealing with, and I guess this is a general issue when you're dealing with immigration law, how are they dealing with language issues? How is that, how is that addressed? Well, with regards to Afghanistan, the lawyers that have signed on to the initiative are often able to speak up the language themselves. So it's been beautiful to see them communicate directly with individuals reaching out uh, in the language directly. As far as Ukraine is concerned, we do have a number of volunteer lawyers that can speak both Russian and Ukrainian, um, but there's other third-party organizations that have actually stepped up and have uh, put forward volunteers that can aid with interpretation. And so interpretation has really not been an issue. It's not been a barrier in being able to communicate with these people that are reaching out. I think that's great. I know I know, uh, as, as it relates to the Ukrainian and Russian-speaking population, Canada has a fair bit of, you know, I think we're the the, the largest uh, Ukraine, we have the largest Ukrainian population outside of Russia and the Ukraine. Uh, I mean, I don't know that they're all uh, immigration lawyers, but obviously there's uh, there's there's obviously that capacity. But uh, I guess my question is, it sounds like, you know, things can get busy and, you know, obviously the war sadly uh, goes on. Um, how are we as far as the, you know, do uh, the, the amount of volunteers? Do we need more volunteers? Are we meeting the demand as it currently is? What does the situation look like? I mean, the answer is always yes. The more, the better, right? Um, having said that, um, as I said, the lawyers have really reached out to their networks and they've gotten other parties involved as well. So it, it's been wonderful to see the initiative or, or the interest in the general community to help out in any way possible. One thing that we've actually seen is students, law students reach out to us and say, hey, how can we help you? Can we take this off your hands or can we work on a small piece of this? Um, several organizations or even, you know, cold calls from from the public after they see what the Canada Bar Association has done, will get phone calls and they'll say, can we help with housing? Can we help with donations? How can we help? Uh, um, so the short answer is absolutely, the more the better, but it, it, it's been an evolving thing and it's been really, really nice to see um, the ongoing support that people have um, have been giving. Um, I wanna ask, I wanna kind of go from the practical to kind of the on the ground experience. Obviously war you know, is a particularly unique type of drama that has serious long-term mental health consequences uh, for people, but also short-term consequences. I'm just wondering, uh, you know, what advice do you have for members, maybe members of the broader Canadian Bar Association community who are not familiar with, you know, how these kind of, uh, these issues manifest in, in those seeking to immigrate into Canada and, uh, and kind of what resources are available to assist uh, those immigrating to Canada uh, as refugees or just as immigrants 
to try to address some of these mental health issues. Yes, um, I, I, I do fully recognize that a lot of these individuals that are coming into Canada are going to be facing significant issues. Um, in terms of the advice that I can give to volunteer lawyers, I found from my own practice as well, because I do a lot of refugee work, is that oftentimes just talking to them, right? And not even necessarily about legal issues, but just, just having a conversation uh, with them, just listening to them um, can be hugely helpful. In addition to that, as I said, we've had a number of organizations, specifically Ukrainian organizations, as well as church groups that have reached out to us that are offering some other services that we as lawyers might not be very well positioned. Um, and so oftentimes we reach out to them uh, to assist us in that regard. Having said that, with regards to Ukraine specifically, um, it's, it's been a little bit slow. Um, in, in receiving individuals coming from Ukraine. And oftentimes they are going to friends or family members uh, that are here in Canada. But they're still getting this. I guess they're getting, they may not be getting it from the church groups or other groups, but they are hopefully getting support to assist them, which is, you know, obviously exceptionally traumatic experiences. Absolutely, absolutely. And like I said, that's coming from either friends or family members over here, church groups and Ukrainian organizations specifically are, are doing some wonderful things. They've set up special programs. Uh, the Canadian government has also announced that they are going to, that they have an initiative where they're going to allocate uh, a certain amount of resources towards the newcomers from Ukraine. And so there's definitely things in the works and, and systems already in place to assist those that are coming. So let me flip the question on its head. As an immigration lawyer or as somebody who's doing pro bono work to assist people coming from uh, war-torn areas, how do you deal with your own mental health? It's got to be extremely challenging hearing these stories. And obviously, sometimes you can help people, but sadly, sometimes... You, you, you have limited abilities to, to help people clearly in need. How, how do you deal? How do you, I guess specifically, how do you deal with the caseloads, the, the, the case files that you have to deal with? And then do you have any advice in a broader sense for those who are dealing with such issues? Sure. Well, the first thing I have to say is that my colleagues here in the office are just absolutely wonderful. Um, specifically, our immigration department is very, very tight-knit. Uh, and we often discuss very many things together, um, including some of these heavier cases that, that come our way. And so having that support system here in the office, having that, that close-knit, um, tight working environment has been very helpful in that regard. Um, in addition to that, though, as I've been advised by many mentors, is, is taking some time to, to do some things um, that are unrelated to work, um, whether that's spending time with your family, going out for a walk, um, just doing things outside the office is, is very important. And so I, I have three kids, so they, they keep me quite busy. And so I try to dedicate the weekends to doing something outside the work environment to sort of reset and then come back. Um, on Monday and, and continue working. I was going to say, maybe you need a break from the three kids. Well, it, it works both ways, right? When, I come yeah. when you go back on Monday, you go back on Monday, you feel refreshed that all you have to deal with is, is, is challenging case files. No. Oh, absolutely. I have my morning coffee on Monday. It's fabulous being here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I'm interested in your history, your experience. As I mentioned earlier in, in the introductions, you came uh, to Canada as a refugee from Albania. Uh, can you, uh, can you give us a sense of kind of how you got to where you are 
uh, because it's, I mean, it sounds fascinating to me. I mean, fascinating is probably the wrong word, but it's obviously quite the experience that from where you started to, to where you are today. Sure, sure. Yeah. So actually, our status when we first came was not that of refugee, though we were not very far removed from that. Um, we left Albania in 1998, shortly after the civil war had started in the country um, in 1997. And at that time, my mom qualified for one of the economic programs in place. She's an oil and gas engineer. And so Calgary, Alberta was the natural choice. So, but she was lucky in the sense that she was able to qualify and come under that pathway. Um, we were fleeing war, though. So that's why I say we're not very far removed. Um, Going to law school and, and really the reason behind that was seeing the atrocities of 1997 um, in Albania and the complete failure of the justice system, the complete failure of the country and the inability of people to seek justice for all the atrocities that were being committed. And so I, I think I knew from that from the moment that I arrived in Canada that this is the path I wanted to follow, that I wanted to help people that were in similar circumstances. Um, law and society was my undergrad, and then it was law school after that. So it was it was something that I guess I always knew I wanted to do. So I'm not going to do the math and by asking you, because you mentioned the year you came to Canada, but how old were you? How? Because I'm not going to try to figure out how old you are now, but how old were you when you came to Canada? And did you speak any English? Or was that a, is that something that you obviously had to learn when you came over here? I, I was 10, so I guess you are going to do the math now. Um, but I did I did speak a little bit of English. I was taking English classes when I was over there. Of course, I had to, to be enrolled in ESL once I came for a few months, but uh, I had a basic understanding. So you knew, as you said, you knew early on that you either you that you wanted to be a lawyer, and did you actually? I mean, did, did how did you come about immigration law then? That's a funny question. I sort of fell into it. Uh, I thought I wanted to do criminal law when I uh, graduated from law school and when I articled. Um, and prior to going to law school, I met this wonderful criminal lawyer who's now passed, but I followed him around and I thought it was fascinating what he did. And so I ended up articling at a firm that he had started with two other lawyers, so, uh, thinking that I would do criminal, criminal work over there. Uh, they also did a lot of immigration, though. About 90% of their practice was immigration. And so I sort of fell into immigration at that point. Uh, I loved it. Um, I, I connected with the clients. They had a significant Albanian uh, clientele, which you know worked out very well. And then I just I just continued doing immigration after that. So you and you focused, and then at some point you said, "This is this is my this is my career path. This is my calling within the law." Absolutely. That's that's exactly that's exactly how it happened. Um, once I transitioned, so after I, I articled, I had my children uh, one after the other, and I practiced on my own for a little bit so that I could look after them during that time. But when after I had my third one, um, my then mentor, Jean Munn, who was practicing at Karen and Partners, asked me to come and join the team here. Um, and it was the best decision that I've made. Like I said, the, the work environment and the colleagues here are absolutely fabulous. And I just I don't see myself anywhere else. So, so I have a question on the immigration law. So, I mean, we talked earlier about some of the challenges, the mental health challenges dealing with, obviously, uh, you know, individuals coming from situations such as, you know, refugee sites or situations or just war torn countries in the first place. 
what's the most rewarding part of him being an immigrant? I'll flip it around. What's the most rewarding part of being an immigration lawyer? And, you know, if there's advice to young lawyers who are considering a path in immigration law, what, uh, what advice would you give them? The happy clients. Uh, um, there is nothing more rewarding when, than seeing a client's face when they've received a positive uh, decision. And like I said, I, I work uh, a lot with refugee clients. And so when they have that positive refugee decision, um, the emotion is just, it's, it's overwhelming. So seeing that, um, seeing how grateful they are, how happy they are when that decision comes in, it's, I, I can't compare it to anything else. So that is a huge motivator. And how about for young for, for young lawyers? Would you recommend a career in immigration law? Absolutely. I think it's an area that uh, is still, I would say, a little bit undiscovered. And um, there's definitely, when you're in law school, there, there's definitely some pressure to head in a certain direction. Um, like I said, I, I did not really know that immigration law was a significant area of practice when I was in law school. And I had no intention of, of practicing in this area. But I think it's it's very rewarding. It's um, it's challenging, but you're dealing with clients every day. And if that's the sort of work that gets you excited, then absolutely, immigration law is is where to find that. I think that's I think that's good advice. I, I agree with you. One of the things I've talked about a fair bit, uh, as somebody who works now, I work for a government agency, but I've spent a fair bit of time working for nonprofits. Is you know, there's certain career paths people usually gravitate to in the practice of law which are all obviously excellent career paths, but there's lots of other areas of practice, whether it be, you know, such as immigration law or working in other type of uh, government or non-governmental agencies. So, you know, it's always good to, to make sure that people understand, you know, with a law degree, there's a lot of great ways to practice law. There is, there is. And, and, and like I said, you're very, very connected to the clients, right? So it's an area of law where you can really see the end result. Uh, and you can take a file from beginning to end and you see the resolution of that file. And it's very satisfying. Um, it's, it's, it's not just a little piece of a file that you're working on. You're working on the entire thing. I always joke because people know law as they watch TV and like a beginning and the end of an episode, it's a case. And it's like, no, courts cases go on for five years and people don't really. The average immigration law, like from, from a client, from an intake, from a client coming to see you to, to, you know, getting a resolution. I mean, obviously there's appeals and other things, which, you know, maybe are not unusual, but, but the average case from the beginning to a resolution, uh, is there an, is there such a thing as an average? It really, really depends on the type of file, um, that you're dealing with at Karen and partners. We handle a lot of complex files. A lot of clients that come to us will have either lost something or they've got an issue that's it's not straightforward. Um, so there's files that can be resolved in less than a year. There's other files that will go back, back and forth, back and forth, uh, um, until they're finally resolved, maybe five, six years later. So it, it really depends. Have you had any files that you're still working on that you started your practice with? I know you shouldn't joke about it, but is it, uh, have there been cases that have gone on for that long of a period of time? You know what? That's a great question, actually. Um, the, the answer is no, thankfully, but um, when I when I first started at Karen and Partners, there was a file that I had when I was practicing on my own that finally just got resolved when I first uh, started here. So that was in the work that went back to federal court. It was a refugee file that went back to the federal court three times before it was finally resolved. 
And with the government's commitment to not just refugees, but obviously to increase the number of immigrants coming into Canada over the next couple of years, uh, what's your view on how the system is going to be able to to deal with that? There's a lot. That's a lot of. There's a lot of new uh, case files for Immigration Canada to to deal with. This is. Do you think this is going to be something that's going to be able to to happen, or is it going to be with some hiccups? I'm certainly hopeful that they're going to be able to carry out what it is that they've uh, undertaken. Having said that, there are a lot of backlogs in the system. We're seeing a lot of backlogs all across immigration files, which is concerning, um, particularly, you know, once involving family reunification, uh, sponsorship application for spouses, um, things where individuals have been separated for a long time and are waiting to be reunited. Um, of course, the pandemic did not help the situation. You know, things shut down for a little while there. Um, so I am hopeful, but I'm wary of, of how this is going to play out. Uh. Well, I have just one or two more questions for you. This is obviously the focus of this podcast is is on volunteerism. When we talked about, obviously, the volunteerism that's being done currently by uh, by uh, members of the immigration law section to, to assist uh, individuals uh, seeking uh, uh, to come in from Afghanistan and the Ukraine. But I, I want to ask you about other volunteerism. Uh, do you have time for anything else that's not volunteering pro bono and your kids or are you involved in, in any other community community service and if so do you sleep well yes there is very little sleep but that's okay it, 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 it's gonna get better um no i, I do t- take on some pro bono files as well um through calgary legal guidance I, I i like to take on a few files that i think are meritorious um in addition to the initiative of course, when we started the Afghanistan um, intake uh, form and the Afghanistan program, Ukraine had not yet happened. So once once Ukraine ha- happened, that things got a lot busier. Um, I think it's important, though. I think it keeps you grounded. And I think we're very, very fortunate to, to be where we are, um, to have what we have and, and we have to give it back. Um, I, When we first immigrated to, to Canada, we were very, very fortunate to be welcomed uh, uh, by many people that helped us who we would not be here today if it wasn't for them. But so I, I think it's important to, to do that for others. Uh, and it, even though it, it, it is time consuming, it inspires you to, with actual work too, right? Uh, it inspires you to, to move forward. It inspires you um to just to just continue well i couldn't have, i couldn't have said it better myself to conclude this 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 podcast i wanted to thank you very much for uh, the work that you're doing to assist those who need obviously uh need your assistance i want to thank the the general membership uh, of the immigration law section and others who are volunteering their time to assist in this this important work. So it's been a pleasure meeting you uh, virtually today and uh, uh, continue, continue to uh, continue all your good efforts. Thank you, Stephen. And thank you for, for heading um, the organization. It's wonderful to be a part of it. This is Conversations with the President, presented by the Canadian Bar Association. Hi, I'm Ian Figui of CBA National Magazine. Be sure to check out the latest Modern Law podcast where I speak with Lex Gill about technology and human rights.
Bonjour, je suis Fagui du magazine ABC National. Écoutez le dernier balado de Droit Moderne et notre invité Lex Gill qui parle de la technologie et les droits de la personne. Be sure to subscribe to the Modern Law Podcast where we discuss the law's ability to keep pace with change.